0: You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. I'm Tom Hammond, your host and co-founder of UserWise. Uh, today, I'm super excited for today's episode. I have uh, Benjamin Charbit, uh, one of the co-founders of DareWise, uh, here to... Talk about all things in relation to uh, creating a new game, concepts, and what we might be able to do in the future of gaming. So I'm super, super excited to go into that. But uh, Benjamin, before we do, uh, I'd love to just hear a little bit about you. How did you get to where you are? How did you get into gaming? You know, tell us your story.
1: Sure. Thank you very much, Tom, for for having me in the podcast today. Uh, I have a <clears throat> I have a quite not, I mean, I would say not a very typical, uh, you know, uh, industry career in the industry, but it's probably the case for a lot of people of my age because we didn't have gaming schools and uh, all of these degrees back then. So I, I started my career as an investment banker, uh, first as a private equity investor, then as an investment banker where I worked for many years in a big U.S. bank where uh, I did a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions and actually tried to specialize as early as possible. On the entertainment and, and media industry mm-hmm. the the funny thing was that at the beginning of esport in france uh many years before when i was a uh you know a high school student uh, <laughs> I, I was a i was one i was one of these early esport players so i uh, i started my uh, an early career in, in counter-strike back then but obviously as you can think there was no uh, <laughs> it wasn't a very uh Fruit, a very fruitful career back then. So, so, so I, so I, I did it as a hobby. Uh, there was a very little sponsorship, so I don't even think we can call it esport, but let's call it. E-sport. And, uh, but it, but it actually brought something to me when many years later I, uh, I met with the CEO of Ubisoft, uh, and it was related to my, my job and uh, as a banker. And, uh, and I got this amazing opportunity to join the company where, uh, I started, uh, uh, more in relation to, with, with my previous job, which was, you know, strategy and, 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 and strategic planning and fi- and, and finance, um, uh, everything related to like forecast and, uh, and PNL management. And so, uh, kind of started like that, but very, very quickly. Uh, wanted to uh, to expand um, this opportunity and to, to bring to to get closer to development. So I started working very closely to dev teams because um, I was part of this very new game as a service uh, kind of division in the product the production headquarters at Ubisoft. Um, to be honest, no one really had any expertise in this area. Uh, you know, we Ubisoft was a very uh, at this time was a uh, an amazing company when it came to story-driven or content-driven single-player experience. But when you were switching to more uh, system-based uh, you know, um, game-as-a-service, that was a mm-hmm. whole different world. And so we had to build this thing from scratch. And there were definitely areas where no one really had the expertise. So it was a little bit of an entrepreneur experience because as no one could do it, it was whoever was willing to, do, to take over uh, <laughs> some of those challenges, that person would just end up doing it. And in my case, there's something that came back very often, which uh, the which were analytics, because I had a degree in uh, uh, in in um, mathematical finance, financial mathematics, and so I was pretty good in this area. And the second thing was economic and monetization design, and very quickly realized that. Uh, so I started helping a, a lot of the dev teams on on those topics, trying to bring whatever I could to to uh, to help them uh, you know designing these things, yeah. and and I understood very quickly that you would not be able to uh, have a good economic design without understanding without thinking of the game design itself and how those two things would work together. So I trained myself as a game designer, uh, became one of it, <laughs> became a game designer. <laughs> and, uh, and Ubisoft was always it was really an amazing kind of company because it it was very open-minded and gave a lot of opportunity to a lot of people. Inside and so, um, well, one thing and uh, to bring another uh, to an, uh, another, I eventually became a game director on uh, Assassin's Creed, uh, where uh, I worked on Assassin's Creed Black Flag and then on uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, where uh, basically I was the the game director in charge of the the the, the multiplayer and the online experience.
0: Mm. That's fantastic, and then that leads us to Darewise. So you know, tell us, how did the, the Darewise team come about? Like, you know, what are you guys all about? What are you looking to do?
1: The the very beginning of Darewise is the, what what really triggered it, and is related to what I introduced with, which was playing, you know, when I told you about playing competitively, the reason why I was brought into this thing was not really for the, the competition, but for the social experience. Mm. I just loved, uh, I really built some insane friendships Online friendships back then. Then World of Warcraft came, uh, which was for me absolutely the first social network before Facebook was even a thing. And uh, you know the, the 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 depth and the and the power of those social relationships was just outstanding. And and so when I was at Ubisoft, um, whatever while most of the company was working on single player experiences, I only did online experiences. I only did multiplayer. But but obviously it was it was also a bit difficult when you're uh, you know when you're not able to uh, you're not the core business of the mm-hmm. company. And so I, I thought it was the opportunity for for me to start a new venture where we just would be focusing on bringing people together in games. And so how could we create those platforms where people would just have fun? Uh, together, and uh, and so I uh, I went to uh, I went I went to to get one of my uh, former colleagues Sam, who was the the, the lead engineer at uh, at Massive on the division. At this time, he had moved at uh, to Crytek. He was one of the key architects on the mm. Cry engine. So as you can imagine, a guy with a pretty outstanding tech tech background, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is really great when you can have this as a this, type, this kind of a skill set as a co-founder yeah. and, uh, and, and, and he was also very much like me, like loving to play online, uh, to play co-op games. And so, um, so that's how we started together with this very strong mission statement, which is, okay, we want to bring people together in rather positive experiences. So co-op not really PVP. It's really about, uh, you know, bring building designing and designing and developing experiences where people do stuff
0: together. That's great. So, what kind of experiences have you guys built, or are you building?
1: So, well, the the project that we're working on, which is a really big piece, uh, is called Life Beyond, uh, and Life Beyond is a is is a is a is a persistent experience. It's a persistent uh, online world uh, where you're uh, you're basically part of a crew of uh, underprepared but over equipped. Uh, Young people, young pioneers, sent to uh, this uh, very interesting planet, uh, full of resources, but that has been a little bit traumatized by previous atten- colonization attempts by other civilizations. And so, you're you're kind of going there to heal this planet. So uh, it means you're you're with this with these other players, with those other pioneers. Uh, you, your gameplay is going to revolve around. At the same time, completing a bunch of expeditions to um, accomplish missions that ultimately result into healing the planet. And at the same time, establishing your, your, own, your, your own civilization over there uh, your own and, and building up your own settlements in a single shard world. So it's a one big world shared by all the players in the world. Um, so if you play, if you and I play, we'll be playing together uh, there's no, uh, sharding. There's no, oh, you're in the U S or I'm in France and we mm. put together, you know, it's everybody in the same world. Wow. That's interesting.
0: How did you guys land on the concept of like a, a space exploration type game? Is that something that you guys are just passionate about? Or I've, I've heard of this thing lately called audience driven development, where it's kind of like, uh, saying, you know, what type of game does my audience want to play? You know, was it something like that? Or, you know, where did, where did space come from? um,
1: The thing is that, uh, and we can talk about uh, audience-driven development after because for sure the project that like where we are right now is definitely the result of a lot of iteration with the community. (laughs) Because the game has been in open development since May 2019. So it means we've opened the gate we've opened the kitchen. Uh, you know, since May 2019. <laughs> so obviously a lot of influence uh, is in what we're doing now. But the but the original concept, like I, I guess, what we wanted was um, to find this right balance between uh, something that was that felt pretty modern as an IP, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, sci-fi without being too geeky, too nerdy, you know. So which is always <laughs> very tricky. So. Uh, that's why we like to call it science science fantasy. Um, yeah. and and so but but you need, but at the same time, and even more for people like us coming from Ubisoft, which always focuses on um, uh, lore that are very grounded in reality, we needed to take some freedom from that because and I can speak for hours about that, but if you stick to ground if you stick to stuff that are grounded in reality, you it's it's actually a huge, production challenge to get something that is really high quality, very expensive. Uh, It's very, very expensive, very, it it takes a lot of resources rather versus developing something that has uh, that 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 takes you more into some form of fantasy, where you can start, you know, play with rules, you have more freedom, people have less expectation of what it's supposed to be. And so you can (laughs) Uh, at the same time, you can be more creative, and it's also more efficient from a production standpoint.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it, it's just interesting because I've I've heard uh, some people say don't don't even consider sci-fi unless you're doing an IP like you know Star Trek or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, so. and, and <laughs> I
1: would I kind of agree with that. Like sci-fi, you know, it's it, it, the, the big question is like uh, if you do if you really do sci-fi as what it's supposed to mean, you know, with like science fiction. Mm-hmm. Whoa, like this is a big piece. It's going to be also quite, I think it it's it's quite niche in a way. Uh, but but if you do sci-fi like Blizzard does in Overwatch, you know, mm. it's not really sci-fi. It's there is some there is some technology that's modern, but it's not it's it's just not heroic fantasy. Uh yeah. and still there is, no one is really trying to understand the underlying rules of the world, you know, and like why. Why do why I have do I have a gorilla with a human with this one? When is this one flying? Is it, you know, it's um, you can bring that after, which is actually what they're doing, right? You have a lot of IP in Overwatch, and it's fantastic. It's you can watch, you can read comic books, and you can you have so <laughs> much materials, but but um, people are not. Not, like your main your mainstream audience is not really going to come and challenge the rule of it but if you start doing a sci-fi game then you're talking to people who really want to understand you know like how this world functions like how it works and and then it's a rabbit hole i think
0: yeah that's really great so i don't know if you've figured this out yet but i do think it's important and something that probably a lot of people are are thinking about as we're listening you know, how are you guys planning on monetizing something like this? Is this going to be like a Wow type subscription type play, free to play? You know, what does that look like? So it's totally it's definitely free to play. The first reason being that um, I,
1: I I love the free to play model. It's I see a lot of virtue in this model. the 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 fact that um, you know you're allowing everybody to play. Um, you know, it, it's not just that. Obviously, we're we're running a business, and uh, I you know. I still I, I was an, an investment banker, so I'm, I'm obviously <laughs> never never losing sight of that, but uh, because we we need we, we need to run and be successful. But the fact that it's open to anyone really makes the experience very rich and very enjoyable. and And then to give you the opportunity to start spending money where you where you've enjoyed doing it, you know for something that you take pleasure at is a very, very positive and rewarding experience, and we can talk after on how I view my, my views about on monetization because I think there's a there's almost a, a form of religion here, like a, a dogma here and how we want to do it. But to answer your question, free to play uh, with obviously uh, item selling in the game, but what we're bringing in, on top of that, and that I believe a lot in, is player to player monetization. So, we uh, we have real money transaction in the game with the opportunity to basically create contracts for other players uh, by players, and that can be rewarded with real money. So think of your uh, uh, you know uh, kind of shady gold farming experience in World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, like uh, that should that is exactly something that we're trying to prevent through. allowing players to do this together. So, uh, it's kind of like, I have, you have time, I have money. We can, we can find uh, uh, an, an agreement on something. And, mm-hmm. and then, and then we can bring people together who have different set of constraints of our, or opportunities, but can still enjoy playing together.
0: That's super fascinating. Almost like the, uh, what was it the, the real money auction house that Diablo 3 had for a little while? I, I know they did that specifically to try to counteract uh, all the gold farming type stuff that happened in Diablo 2, but I do think it was executed on <laughs> very poorly. Uh, I, I also think that obviously it depends on the game you're playing. The the whole
1: mm-hmm. Diablo is the whole open Diablo is about getting the best gear. Yeah. You're you're replaying this game to improve your gear, to play the game differently. To improve your gear, to play the game differently, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, if I can already purchase the gear, I you just broke the loop. <laughs> um, so, so for us, it's it really the loop should not revolve on you know on on that single item. Uh, like it, sh- it should be about the, the promise should really be about living, a kind of role like having your existence in this world. And that this existence can matter a lot too. to, to mm-hmm. a point where, uh, you know, I, I, I'm obviously going to drop the word metaverse. You know, everybody. <laughs> uh, we've been talking. Well, we, we we we've been talking about the metaverse since like 2015 here. But, but the the I think the the, the idea between the, for me the difference between the the metaverse and an MMO is really this idea that now, um, I kind of have a complete existence which non, non, not only mean uh, creativity, social, but also economics, you know, like I make money or I can make a revenue and like this has, a, this has a real value, then this to me really becomes the metaverse. If you have this with like social, like non-gaming experience, those are the metaverse. So so for us, it's obviously uh, more of that promise than the, oh, just, just get the, bit, the best gear
0: uh yeah that's great what what does the core loop in the game look like
1: the core loop is uh is is, is really uh simple it's about you're um, you're going to complete those expeditions which are those instance based mis- these are missions so think of like a dungeon in uh, in uh in, or you know in, in any mmo or uh, a mission in Deep Rock Galactic, for instance, you know, where you party with a group of, uh, of people and you guys go and complete that mission. Once you're back, you collect your reward for, for that mission. And uh, with, this, with this reward, you can hang out in, the, so in one of those social spaces we, we call the hubs, which are like some form of lobbies where you can walk around, perform a, a bunch of different activities, and, or go to one of your villages, which is which are those persistent open world spaces where you can uh, that can host like up to a hundred players, and where you will build with your community your own space. Um, so your base, your uh, equipment, and you can also start manufacturing stuff and then participating to the player-driven economy. And obviously, you can go to any other villages. People can visit you and your friend, and so you. You you really keep it's like you go what your mission is your labor and then you go back home you know it's like you 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 go to do your labor then you go back home and you you have this experience where you can you have this different gameplay where you build your own stuff so um, in a way, and another way to present it is you know when you when you're after you're you complete a dungeon in an MMO and you're back in the town. But then you're you're going to do a quest. But instead, here you would be building your your house and some other equipment uh, with just for you, or with your friend, with your community, with your whatever guild or team that you're part of.
0: Very fascinating. Yeah. So a concept that I've <clears throat> iterated on in my mind a lot, but I'm always hesitant. Especially for like free-to-play games where it's it's easy to get in, but it's also very easy to quit, right? Um, what sort of, uh, I guess I'd say like social expectations are you building into the game? You know, you you mentioned a lot of it is like doing these expeditions and things together, but um, you know, are players going to feel pressure to log in? Each day to take care of things, are they going to feel obligated to come in and help their clans? I actually think that's one of the most powerful things in World of Warcraft. Like, if your clan is depending on you to come in and join them on a raid, and you don't show up, you're gonna, you know, get in a little bit of trouble there and be like, you know, I can't rely on you.
1: It's true, but uh, you know, we're uh, we're in 2021, and we're uh, we're mostly targeting Gen Z. And, and I think this kind of behavior, they can't work with this type of audience. Uh, Gen Z has access to so many sources of, of entertainment and, and distraction that if you start, if if when, if when before committing to an experience, I actually have to acknowledge that it's going to be this kind of commitment. It's funny that <laughs> you're, you're talking about World of Warcraft. I'm still playing World of Warcraft and I'm still in the field. But, but you know, I knew what I was getting into. And I really yeah. processed before. I was like, do I really want to do that? I have two kids, a wife, a company <laughs> to run. Do I really want to play World of Warcraft? Because if I'm doing this, I'm not going to be able to do many other, th- other things. And, and that's a big problem. I think once you, if, if your value proposition is like that, I, I think it's tricky for a younger generation that today is used to shift and, and multiply things. So So for us, these expeditions they are like fifteen to twenty minute missions, mm-hmm. so those are really easy, you know, uh, hop in, hop out, mission like a gameplay experience that you can have, and and then at my player space, there is no competition, there is no, um, uh, you know, like pressure to complete things. Uh, it's more whenever you want. So yeah, of course, I mean if if you if you play with a bunch of people who are building, you want to build this massive village with them, and they're, you know, and, and they're, they're always playing, and you're never there. It's like if you're if you're in a clan in, in a, when you play a Clash of Clan, you can be in a clan, you know, and, uh, and and basically never play, and they are at some point they're like, you're not really contributing. Yeah. Um, so this is really this kind of a self organization that we're trying mm-hmm. to support here, but the gameplay itself doesn't really uh, first really makes it super easy and accessible. So you don't have to plan your whole night before starting to play. (laughs) You know, if you have 15 minutes available, you can jump in and go take a mission. And this is really the most important. Like it has to be a fun 15 minute mission that I can do very easily. And then, you know, whenever I have some time or if I just want to do something for like five minutes, I go on my village and I craft something or I just do a bit of base building. But I'm not. I, I hate this idea that every time I'm going to launch the game, I had to process how much time I was really will, able to commit.
0: I love that. That that's something I say a lot to people. Is like every time you open the game, even if you only have like three minutes, you should be able to do something that feels fun, feels rewarding, but also doesn't keep you feeling like you're obligated to do that. Like I think that's one of the things that made you know Clash Royale really good or some of those uh you know Candy Crush Saga games is like yeah I can open up the game I know I only have like 3 minutes while I'm waiting here but like I can play a little game and that's kind of entertaining and I I still get some rewards out of that but if I have a longer period of time like 15 minutes I can do a little bit longer expedition and I know oh I'm going to get like a pretty pretty nice reward after that which will let me do XYZ contribute to those long-term goals and things so I, I really love that design,
1: I and just- I think what is really amazing, even more in the examples you take, is that those designs still the in in they still support um, really long play session. Mm-hmm. You know, you start, you open Clash Royale because you just want to game for like five, or three or five minutes, and you can still play for twelve for two hours if you want. You're you're getting there. You know, it's really supporting. this reward, and uh, I think Fortnite is another fantastic example of, uh, you know, first, most of the time when when I play Fortnite, I'm going to, it's going to take, I'm going to die in three minutes, so I'm (laughs) not wasting that much, I'm not spending that much time, and, but again, if I, but if I have two hours, I can also enjoy that, and that's what is really inspiring us, you know, it's to find this right, the, the, to be able to find this, uh, this design that can really remove the entry barrier as much as possible. And at the same time, really support you if you want to spend, you know, your next two hours, your next three hours.
0: Yeah, that's really good. So, uh, thinking almost about getting into it. Um, I hear a lot of folks, especially on the free to play side, talking about first time user experience in, in games and things like that. And, how is that something that you guys are approaching? I I really like the idea of, you know, being able to get it in seconds, but play it for years. Like how are you, you know, especially if I, I don't know if you guys are are planning on launching on mobile and stuff too, but you know, you get like 30 seconds maybe to like catch people and, and get them on board. But obviously you need the depth to keep them around for years, which seems like you guys have done a good job on the depth side, but like what are some things that you guys are thinking about? it's well, uh, you know, it's very interesting in?
1: because we we tried different things, uh, and right now we're in the middle of a different methodology. So, we um, when we started, uh, to give you the whole journey, when we uh, when we started in May 2019, um, we really uh, did spend a lot of time onboarding players individually. You're not going to believe it, but we ran we we spent like 10 to 15 minutes with each player. <laughs> During a video conference, like each of our Alpha players, yeah. be like, "Hey, welcome to Live Beyond. This is what the game is about." Well, actually, I, I, I don't. I think it was a. Uh, I don't know if we had already branded it. I think it was just Project C back then. <laughs> <laughs> so we were really like doing a video conference, and actually, that was a requirement. We said you cannot play the game if you don't. We give you the access after this fifteen-minute uh, conversation. So, so we really had the chance to give an, really explain what the experience was about because we were obviously not ready to just drop to this way. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that was great to uh, onboard this first uh, wave of, of players. But of course, it's not very scalable. Uh, and also at some point, you need to start building this first experience so that it doesn't or require your um, that you're that present. I'm not totally excluding the fact that we are... Like we still do things like that. Like for instance, when uh, whenever we have a new player joining the game, like entering the server uh, for the first time, we have a Discord bot notification to one of our community people, and that community person jumps in the game to say hello. Um, you know, hope you're uh, having a good experience. If you need anything, we're on Discord. Come see us, uh, and and we're uh, we're happy to help you. So we're already like. I'm okay with something that is not entirely scalable because I think that this first experience uh is dramatically important and if you, if I give you a really amazing one we know you know from many other uh statistical studies that are totally unrelated to life beyond that a first like really first good experience first uh, a great first experience drives a lot of your retention um so 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 we still do that but at first we uh, we used to invest a lot on data and, and analytics and so we we from the get go we started collecting so much metrics um and really um focusing on trying to understand the you know like every time we had a, a drop point like why people would turn here what why would they drop the experience and trying to fix those this tutorial and what is interesting is that I realized that this is actually a very bad strategy to begin with because to begin with you don't want to fix your problems you want to emphasize you want to invest on your strength and so to invest on your strength then the process has to be different it has to be more qualitative it has to, so what we're doing now is instead of doing so much quantitative and we all we still have a, you know, an, anal- an analytics team, and we're still spend a lot of time looking at the data for other reasons. But when it's about understanding that first experience, what we're doing now is we're do we, we do survey, we do user research, mm. and and what we're trying to do is say who liked it, why did they like it, and how and where are these people, and let's bring more of them, because mm. at the because at, at the beginning, let's say you're you're maybe. 50 to 500 players you you can find similar people yep. when you scale to 20 million players of course you need to be able to expand to different persona um but so so i i really recommend and honestly we i think we made this mistake uh and we we wasted some precious time uh, that we could have used differently by instead really focusing on um, our our most valuable players, our high expectation players, the one that really that were really kind of a already a good player game fit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you guys, like, okay, what what is that you like? And we're gonna give you more of that for now. And that really, that's how you can really improve that first experience, that that early retention.
0: Yeah, when you do surveys in the game, are they like a, a segmented survey? So like players that have done X, Y, Z get this survey, or you know, do you group it by player IDs and things, or is it just more of a? So aggregate? we have
1: a couple of things. We have like a like an NPS type uh, survey in the game. So when you're done, you know, I ask you like if you had a good experience. and, um, But we're also uh, running like playtests on Discord. With players, there are time-based. You know, like uh, we have a meeting at that time every Friday, and they come and we give them the survey. So we're uh, we we, uh, we we really uh, moved away from that kind of really large-scale testing that we used to do uh, because we actually get more value at this stage.
0: Cool, that's super interesting. Um, so. That idea of manually onboarding players, I have never heard that before. Um, And I'm really curious, what are some things that you and your team learned manually onboarding those players? Because I'm sure there were like some things that a lot of players like all kind of struggled with that maybe you wouldn't have expected. Or like, you know, what did you learn doing that? And is that something you'd recommend other teams do? Oh, I
1: totally recommend, but for another reason. I don't think we learned anything in this process because it was mostly us talking. You know, it's like we people would complete a survey about we would have a bunch of questions about the platform they use, the type of game they play. And then we would handpick like the first thousand players. And and then we would have this uh, video conference with them, which would mostly be us talking about the experience and explaining what they were about to experience in the game. And also so to drive a little bit their focus because the point is also to get some valuable feedback, yep. but what did, so, so it's not so much that we learned at that specific moment, but we really connected with these first thousand players. You know, there was like some form of like, a. uh, again, you know, our mission is to bring people together. We do yeah. believe very much uh, of the, uh, those, the quality of these online relationships and, uh, and and really um it worked you know like we just ended up knowing each other and then meeting each other on discord and and, in the game Mm -hmm. um that was really unique um and and so i recommend doing it because then your first your first uh, one like 1000 player cohort basically is really going to be also um I guess maybe a bit more grateful, you know, like they're mm. so happy. So they feel so honored in a way that uh, that developers are talking to them. Like, and, and for us, like you can see, you can come on our Discord. This is still happening. Like we're, we we play games with them every day. Like every day we play other games. We have like a Valheim server. We play Sea of Thieves. We play Among Us. Uh, if you go on the Life Beyond Discord right now is a little bit about Life Beyond and a lot about playing other co-op games. <laughs> and and it's awesome you know um so creating that relationship um maybe it sound it might sound a little bit naive uh or you know but it is true we're in 2021 and this is a reality we we there is a, a lot of people out there who don't have this kind of a binary approach of uh i am a developer and you are the you know or you're the developer and i'm a player we're all you know, we we can mix all of that. We can, uh, and it's awesome. You know, it's much more fluid, and and this is really what I think we're uh, we're doing great at Devos. It's to uh, nurture that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're all just people, and we all just have you know relationships and things. I think one of the things I see, especially with free to play developers, they almost view players as just like almost a burnable metric of like, Oh, I'll just, you know, have X CPI. And as long as I have an LTV, that's greater than that, you know, I can just, you know, burn through cash and I'll, I'll be ROI positive. But, you know, for me, it's all about retention. And I mean that those first thousand players are probably going to be so much more likely to be retained and to feel.
1: Yeah. I, I, and- I'm not going to blame, you know, like when you're a hyper casual company, I totally understand why you work this way because uh, it's a numbers game and you need to scale to these big numbers i, I think when you're for us it's it's also, it's it's just that we can't thrive without it like we're building club games that you have you know that are that are growing into a social experience so if we don't walk the talk we can never do you No, know, it's like the it's the same as if you're a game company and people are not having fun at at your company, you know, and if if they're sad or stressed or depressed, or how can you make a fun game eventually? You know, it's, it's (laughs) it's probably impossible. So, so for us, it's very much like that. We're, uh, and and, uh, to the people listening, like come over on the discord, uh, the live beyond discord server, uh, you know, like evening time, uh, or I mean, anytime because I'm always checking and and, and chatting so during the day. But even more like evening time, I'm there with so many of our of, of the of the team, and we're just playing games, uh, the games that we like at the moment, you know, with other people. Uh, so so so, then I I think that is there if there is if it doesn't really come a little bit from the guts, it's hard to deliver it in the end.
0: That's great. So switching gears just a little bit. Um... So, you know, you were talking about your time at Ubisoft, where you were kind of helping them transition from this uh, premium developer almost to this, like, games as a service type thing, which I think everyone has really gone through for the most part over the last few years, um, and, and really the concept of, of live ops and continually, you know, running games as these services where... Um, you give the players new content and experiences and hopefully they do some things that ultimately generate revenue and it's kind of this, you know, happy medium between the two. Um, what does LiveOps look like in a social experience kind of like this, like what are the types of things that you guys are thinking about or or planning to do, um, because I imagine it's probably quite a bit different than some of the things that we've seen previously.
1: So I, I, I I'd say uh, live ops is a very wide thing. You know, it's it it goes from animating the the life in your world so that there are always interesting things happening, um, to broad making sure that you are you have the tools to broadcast what's happening, what's happening in this world to other players, um, like what Eve Online does, for instance, where sometimes you know the you can read the newspaper, like the, if you. If online is, uh, you know, it has all of its media kind of supporting it and, and telling you the stories about what happens over there, but it's also it's it's also your ability to improve the game, the player experience, nonstop. So, continuously releasing, like, and you know, and so for us, for instance, we push weekly update, uh, and and that's a huge technological challenges challenge to. To, to be able to do that. So, so what it's gonna mean when we'll be, uh, cause we're still like in a, in a closed alpha stage, but what it will mean in a, when we'll be in an open beta stage will be um, that we will have at the same time, um, a lot of events happening in the world, um, like new, like stuff that are triggering, that are being triggered by our game masters who are kind of like uh you know, like a dungeon master there. This is gonna be their <laughs> Uh, their job and because we're build, we're bringing a lot of lore and IP and so we'll have like some form of like season and stuff happening mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: while at the same time we really want to uh, uh, build in in-house uh, a, a small group that is going to be to be dedicated to um, uh, enhance the player creation like the player enhance what people do in the game mm-hmm. and broadcast it. To the community. So uh, from, you know, uh, writing about the news to, uh, you know, and showing it in videos. And that is really
0: something that we're, uh, that we're planning to do. That's super cool. I love that. Um, kind of on the topic of live ops, but a little bit closer to back, you were talking about how it's really important to look at different groups of players and see kind of how are they alike that idea of kind of segmentation Um, you know, every player tends to have different things about the game that they like the most. You know, some people are a little bit more competitive. Other people are more achievement oriented. Obviously you've got social uh, inherent, which uh, different people usually have different parts of things in there, but like, how are you guys looking to ensure that you have, Things for each of these different groups of people to do, because I think when you've got something for me to do that helps me play the game the way that I really want to play the game, I'm much more likely to come back in and keep playing that you're game. You're right.
1: You're right. But uh, I think this is uh, the, the mistake that we've been do, that we that we used to do back then was to try to please too many people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, the risk when you're trying to make a game for everybody is you make a game for no one. Because <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's just dull and, and, and boring. The our our approach right now I, and I I really believe in it is is more about building this culture and and an engine within the company to be able to um, speak an audience, speak a group of people, mm-hmm. and uh, have everything in the in the company and in the team to support to help you to serve and address properly that audience mm. so that's why i'm going back i'm going back to kind of this framework that i was talking about which is the 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 high expectation customer uh, which was a kind of a i think it was the 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 head of product at the at dropbox who that created kind of that, that that framework which is really interesting it it's really about you can't make it good for everybody at the same time, you know, like you have to pace your, your th- th- this process. So right now, we're really going to focus on one group, and but but, but what is important is more: have we created the process to uh, say we want to target this group and how we're getting the game better for this group? Because then we can reapply the process as we start expanding to other people. And that's really, a, we, we, we even call it the DelWise engine uh, because we really try to uh, create a, build a theory on that. There, I'm going to give you an example. Um, Nexon, to me, Nexon is the most inspiring developer and publisher in the world for me. Because, and it's funny because a lot of people just don't know about, uh, like they know Nexon, but they don't really know about their project. Their, their games. But Nexon has this insane track record of building franchises that they've been operating for like 15, 20 years. And, you know, they, it's just that they while Western developers have always had this kind of process of, you know, huge spike at the beginning and then uh, kind of fire and forget uh, approach. Nexon has the opposite it's really about building things over time and 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 to a point where it it's it, then it becomes much less of a hit driven market because you're you're not really true to get the hit you're trying to build over time your audience by addressing one audience one audience one person then another one then another one then another one and instead of uh, trying to build that burst so That's really the way we are operating now. And that's why uh, I was talking about the kind of doubling down on the people who like what you already have Mm -hmm. and to give them more of what you have and to find more of these people instead of trying to satisfy the ones who don't enjoy it.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting approach. I think hopefully people that are listening to this take that to heart. I think that is a really good insight there.
1: I think Um, it's very – It's very stressful to do that because you're, uh, you're like, you see those problems, but uh, you have to, it's, it's, it's actually the strategy of uh, a, you know, sports player. That's how they usually uh, it's like 80, 20, 80% on my strength and 20% on my weaknesses. I'm not saying that you should never address the elephant in the room when you have something that really sucks and people don't like it. But, um, but just that the majority of your energy, should be on making more thing like more of those things that you're already doing
0: well. Yeah. That's I love that. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, uh, one thing I, I sort of mentioned, but I don't know that we went into, you know, is this going to be a cross platform game? Yeah. Or well, you, you yeah. Know, yeah. Why, why, why cross platform and, and what does that yeah, look like? You to, know, the, the, to me, even the concept of
1: platform doesn't make any sense anymore. You know, it's just a, it's just a just a display, just a device that I have. Where and and I'm using many, like right here on my table. I have an iPad, an iPhone. I have a laptop. <laughs> I have a computer. I'm I'm constantly moving, and it's horribly frustrating to uh, lock me to once to one platform. You know the 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 uh, what I want to be able to is to interact with this game world, and because it's also a social space with that space wherever Mm -hmm. I am so whether I'm uh in my uber and you know I have a 20 minute drive ahead or I'm waiting at the doctor's office or I'm at at home on my couch or I'm on my uh, in my you know on my desk really willing to play for like the next two hours um please give me access to my game
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that um you know, for folks that are thinking that they might want to do cross platform for that reason. And because I think Gen Z kind of started starting to have the expectation of like, I should just be able to, you know, engage where I want, when I want um, what sort of challenges have you guys hit, you know, with cross platform, well, is it difficult to have to redesign for different devices or to no, implement so to, and deploy?
1: Say, well, first we'll have to remain humble. You know, it's not, we're not there yet. <laughs> uh, we're still developing on a single platform right now, but but this is a this, but this is a major uh, constraint that we have on the development. So it means a couple of things: um, the way we're architecturing the game, um, you know, where you have these uh, player uh, player space, these villages, then you have those missions, and you have these uh, social hubs. Instead of just one massive open world where I just walk everywhere and I have everything in this in the same space, is also to support that because then um you, you even though you can go to all of these instances, there are smaller instances and so you have less of a, a technical challenge uh, to to run even on the on the client side. Mm. Uh, the second thing is that when we're designing uh, you know what we love to call 3Cs a Ubisoft character control camera, uh, it's thought so it can run on touchscreen as well as on game, uh, with a gamepad or a mouse and keyboard. Uh, and, and which is the same for all the UI basically. But the last thing, which I think is the most important is your game structure. You know, like you can, you can give me a Assassin's Creed or Red Dead Redemption on my iPhone with Stadia. I'm not like, it doesn't, it, it's not really going to make me play when I'm in this Uber because there is no, there is not a mission that I can accomplish in 15 mm-hmm. minutes. It's a it's a 45 minute or a one hour time commitment <laughs> every time I want to do something in those games. There yep. are amazing games, but so it's not the fact that you can deliver it to me like through a, a cloud, like a cloud gaming service. It's the fact that the game really needs to think about this new type of usage. So so it, your design really needs to work for that. So for us, what it means is well, if you are in this situation, in this nomadic situation you are able to interact with the game world and do and perform meaningful actions that uh, i think really the most important challenge that we we had to deal with
0: yeah yeah you know we did a um a deconstruction of genshin impact uh, a, a few months ago yeah um and Love it. one of the interesting things with that that you know as we were really digging into it is um My Hoyo is really about these like technical challenges and and wizardry behind the scenes. Um, And something that I probably wouldn't have learned unless I did this was digging into that was, um, you know, it's fairly easy on a PC to be able to deliver really stunning looking experiences because, yeah, the game can be 40, 50, 100 gigabytes. It doesn't really matter. But if you're asking a user to download that on their phone, you do run into restrictions pretty fast. And so my Hoyo was actually able to like take, I don't know, 50 megabyte assets and transform them into like kilobytes um, that could be delivered on the phone, which I found really incredible. And that's part of the reason why they were able to deliver something that is like so aesthetically pleasing on the phone. Um, That said, I, I will say, Genshin is better for me, at least, to play on the PC. Like I can kind of play it on the phone. I did that for a little bit, and then I tried it on the PC, and was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna play this on the PC now because the experience is just better there for control." And it's fine. And I such.
1: mean, obviously, if you if you play a, <laughs> if you play Fortnite on the phone and you play Fortnite on PC, it's not, you're enjoying <laughs> your experience on PC more. But it, but it's okay. Like there, yeah. I the point is, can you? And you yeah. can. You know and it's and still pleasant the you know the, we also have to deal with the real I, I just think that sometimes we're, we're we live too much in in fantasies you know I <laughs> they, they, w- no matter what we do uh, a, a portable device will never be able to run as fast as a, a, you know a, a workstation the because the workstation will get better and we'll keep developing games to Work with these more and then try to get them to run on mobile, on portable devices. So I mean, there is always a trade-off somewhere. It's either you want to make it so it's perfect for mobile, and then obviously uh, you're sacrificing somewhere. Um, you know, even because even with the, even with cloud gaming and, and all those streaming services, there's no magic. You know, <laughs> there, there. It's either it's going to cost you a huge amount of money to. Get it to run on those services, you know, the oh. cost right now of streaming uh, is, is insane. Like Unfortunately, we see some uh, kind of drama happening in the, a couple of companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Shadow in France uh, that's going through a really hard time. And their promise was amazing. I was one of their uh, first uh, early adopter. I'm, I'm still a huge believer. But the economics are just uh, difficult to sustain right now. And so... No, it just, it's, the, this is just a reality. So the point is to find the right balance uh, so you can really have this kind of play, like enjoyable experience. And of course, like Epic Games did an amazing job with Fortnite. So, uh, but the, you know, the, I, I think when something amazing with uh, with Genshin Impact also is actually they don't display that many assets on your screen. You're always in, in, but it's done. It's the execution
0: is, is, is amazing. Yeah. I love that. Cool. So I have uh, one last question before our our favorite unofficial question, but um, for everyone that's listening and, and I think this is a very common thing because people are social beings, right? we like to do things together. Um I was actually just reading something the other day that over 75% of game players do report playing games with friends and family. Like social is a huge aspect and I think the longer people are in a game the more important social becomes, you know, after like day 30, day 60, like it's all about that social, you know, playing together as a guild, having those relationships and things. But you know, for people that are making games right now or have games that are live and they want to do more social things or they want to build those sort of relationships, you know, what advice would you have for them?
1: The, the big advice that I have is to really stop trying to replicate how social as, social experience has happened in games and really try to and look at how people socially interact today. Um, it's really interesting to see that You just, you just said this, you know, that you just, you you just explained how social is the, how people like to play with friends and play socially. And still, most of the social activity takes place on Discord. It means that none of this game has been able to deliver a very, like a a, a pleasure, like a a pleasant social experience in the game. It's really interesting, right? because how do people interact socially today? They are part of several communities. They have uh, communities based on their interests. They have different groups of friends. You know they have this breadth of social experience, of social interactions, but games are still the same. They're like you have your guild, you have your party, you know the the group <laughs> of people you're you're playing with right now. Uh, you have your friend list, and then you have the rest of the players. Yeah, but this yeah. is not how people s- interact socially today. You know, people ha- are gonna people are gonna be on five or ten different Discord servers uh, for s- different reasons, for different uh, kind of interest. So, mm-hmm. I think this is really what we need to cap to capture now. It's deliver compelling social experiences that go beyond the traditional mechanics that uh, are are just twenty years old, twenty years old now.
0: I love that. Yeah, I, I think we're we're time for you know some innovations in social. I don't think people have done that. So hopefully, Darewise will will show us how to do it, and and we're we'll working hard. <laughs> Love it. Well, cool. Uh, so one last question, because this is the mastering retention podcast. You know, what's one tip or trick you would have uh, for people that are looking to increase the retention in their games?
1: Has to be a trick. <laughs>
0: um, well, <laughs> The
1: the, the the first thing that uh, uh, really uh, played a big part uh, for us was really to, uh, to 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 get to engage uh, beyond the like on a kind of a personal level. So create mm-hmm. that create that that uh, that true relationship. Um, and, and even though I understand that it might seem like, oh, my God, this is impossible. This is not true. <laughs> that was true back then. Um, but you can really try to leverage. Um, first, you can have some people dedicated to that. And uh, and they have actually an ability to reach out to a lot of people. Uh, and, and you can also start, as you do that, you start leveraging your community members. And you can start to empower some of those community members to become ambassadors for you. And we see that this has a major impact on retention, um, because you're because I also think that we have a wrong way right now to evaluate retention, which is we're only uh, evaluating retention in the game, but we should we should evaluate retention in the in the whole uh, kind of a scope of it. So uh, the, if some people are not playing the game for a week, but they might be interacting on Discord. And they can be talking to other players, and that helps these other players to keep playing your game. Sure. So I think creating that, um, you know, I think we we had a it's it's interesting because back then we had a lot of these qualitative relationships. Then we moved to data like data 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 culture, and we used to say everybody used to say we're data driven, and now we say we shouldn't be data, data driven. We should be data informed uh because it's uh it's a you know like uh it's it's a more uh, subtle uh version of this thing and 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 for us and i i was the first one to be data driven back then and to now that we have brought back more of this uh human relationship we actually did see a lot of benefits in the in the overall retention um, so finding ways to create that bond um, is a really, really important award. Uh, that is my best trick uh, to beyond trying to understand in your metrics, why are people dropping at this thing, which you know, like first do that because there is a lot of qualitative input that you can get out of it, including the, why are people dropping at this?
0: That's great. I love that. Well, Benjamin, this has been Super great! This is definitely going to be one of my top episodes. I I just had so much fun digging into your game, and uh, I, I might have to join the waiting list. Maybe I'll be able to get into a closed alpha. But uh, super excited to to get to play it and, and to Love see that. your your journey we're, continue to unfold.
1: We'll have a we'll have a play test every week. Uh, it's happening on Discord. We're streaming. We're also streaming our own internal play test. So you know, as a company, we play test. Uh, Couple of times a, a week, but on Friday we have a company-wide playtest, and uh, and we also stream this thing on Discord to the to the whole community. So, uh, so. if you uh, if you want to check it out, please come and uh, and of course we'll be happy to uh, get uh, get more people from the waiting list to uh, to access the game. We do that every week, so <laughs> feel free, to, feel free, to. and and especially for you, Tom, we'll make sure that you can join. <laughs>
0: Love it. Love it. Cool. All right. Thanks, Benjamin.
1: Thank you very much. Bye, Tom.